Welcome to Growing Your Financial Advisory Practice Podcast by Snap Projections, episode 23. I'm your host, Patel Bermensky, and my goal is to interview experts to provide you with insights, strategies, and actionable tactics that you can start applying to grow your financial advisory practice today. For more information, head over to snapprojections.com slash podcast. Now, let's introduce today's featured guests. Today's guests are Chris Rawls and Spencer Tilly. Chris is CFP, RFE, and CIM, and a co-founder and licensed portfolio manager with RT Mosaic. Chris has over 15 years of experience in the financial services industry. After working for a major financial institution, he wanted to focus on giving clients an unbiased wealth management experience and to ultimately make a positive impact in their lives. Chris was recently named a 2018 finalist for the Multi-Service Advisor of the Year Award through Wealth Professional. Spencer is CFP, RFP, and CFA, a co-founder and licensed portfolio manager with RT Mosaic. Spencer has gained experience at a very exclusive firm in Calgary before starting RT Mosaic in 2010. He works closely with his clients throughout Canada and with his extensive knowledge, particularly in the areas of retirement analysis, tax minimization, and corporate planning, helps clients optimize their financial affairs. Spencer currently sits on the national board of the Institute of Advanced Financial Planners. Spencer, Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. This is great. Pavel. Wonderful. All right. So great, uh, great pleasure to have you on, of course. So let's, ju- let's jump right in. So uh, let's start with your firm. So tell me about your firm. So what do you do? Who do you typically serve? Yeah, so our firm, RT Mosaic Wealth Management, is a boutique portfolio manager and financial planning firm in Calgary. Um, so we've been around for about eight years now, and we offer independent financial advice. And we're not tied to any investment products, so that's critical for our business. So we don't sell any proprietary investment products, and we come up with unique strategies for each client. As far as who we serve, we deal with individual households. Uh, currently, we have about 140 households, um, and they all get uh, comprehensive financial planning. So that would include uh, things like evidence-based portfolio management, uh, retirement planning, estate planning, corporate planning, education planning. Um, and then we currently have clients in Alberta, BC, Ontario, and uh, Saskatchewan. Excellent. And I'd say our average client who we serve is kind of uh, where most people probably are. It's kind of professionals and executives in the you know 50 to 60 range, just getting ready for retirement. Excellent. So that's the typical client. So tell me uh, a little bit about, about your early days. So let's uh, let's go back to your early days. So what, what made you really start a firm? What is your story? Yeah, so... In my instance, uh, I'd been working at a bank-owned firm uh, for a while, and uh, you know, I woke up one day and is it really it's all about generating revenue uh, in that environment. And uh, you know, I started noticing things like underperformance issues, not doing real planning work. Then I went to a mentor one day, and I just said, you know, I was thinking about starting my own firm, and and she kind of looked at me and and thought, hey, I'll get you a job because she thought it was a bad idea. And and their comment was. Um, you know, people want security and they want to deal with the banks. And uh, to me, that kind of, you know, it, it triggered something in my brain where I wanted to prove her wrong. And uh, so then I contacted Spencer. He's in the industry at the time. And and uh, we started the process. And from my perspective, Paul, we just, when we first kicked around this idea, we really just wanted to help people and do it in an unbiased manner and kind of, as Chris alluded to, not be tied to any third party really dictating what we can and can't do. Excellent. So how long did you know each other before starting the firm together? Because that's, a, of course, a major decision, right? So you're going in business, you're starting something new. So you need to really trust the other person. You need to know a lot about the other person. How long did you know each other? Uh, so currently, I've known Spencer probably uh, 25 years. 
so we used to play baseball together and uh spencer used to he played for a team that always won and uh <laughs> so you know we i just we were friends for a long time and uh when you start a business it's partnerships are tough there's no question about it so you have to um get involved with someone that you actually trust so Excellent. Okay, so I think one of you mentioned it, uh, earlier it's uh, you have a set of unique strategies uh, that you deliver to your clients, and uh, also uh, Chris, you mentioned I mentioned in your introduction the um, offering this this kind of unbiased wealth management experience. So let's maybe start breaking this down to into some of the processes. What do you mean by this unbiased wealth management experience? What is your unique process? How you serve clients? So. When we first started, we didn't. There was an inherent conflict of interest in the industry, in my perspective, as far as third-party compensation, and so that was it's one of our core pillars is removing that inherent conflict, and so that really, you know, everything else kind of revolves around that, and so again, we offer portfolio management and in conjunction with comprehensive financial planning, so. Uh, we can talk a little bit about the planning process if that's what you're looking for. So let's do it. We do it on a, a net worth approach. So we gather all their information. So obviously uh, investment assets, but we also look at uh, things like debt, you know, lines of credit, mortgages, uh, rentals, corporate assets, you know, trusts. Uh, you know, they could have private holdings. So we really dig into their complete net worth. And uh, that's really the initial fact finding, and so that can take a lot of time, depending on the you know complexity of the client. And so once we get all that, and sometimes it trickles in, and sometimes it comes in all at once. It just depends on the client. But uh, after we get all that, we can really get a hold of or a good idea of where they're at. And so then we kind of triage where things are at, and we deal with anything that needs to be dealt with immediately. Uh, otherwise, we just kind of put them through our normal process. Uh, and so we really just follow the IFP. Uh, planning process. So uh, we understand their goals, we develop a plan, we implement it, and uh, then we just continually monitor and review it. And uh, the implementation can take a lot of time, right? depending on how quick they are to get back to us. Uh, certain things can be implemented right away and other things uh, can take more time. So we have to take more time on our end to understand their situation. So uh, some of it's easy and some of it takes or can take a little bit longer. And so once that's all done, we we try and meet all our clients every six months uh, in person to review things. Um, everyone's unique and uh, each engagement's different. So that's where, you know, the human element comes in to juggle, uh, you know, everyone's unique needs and what their goals are. And so that's a big part of uh, how we do things. And we're really service oriented and uh, we don't take on uh, every client that walks through the door. We've, we're only going to take on a certain amount each. Okay, so this is interesting. So uh, tell me more about it. Um, what do you mean that you're not taking on uh, every client? So how do you screen your clients? How do you uh, vet your clients initially before uh, making a decision that, yes, this is a good client for, for us. We would be comfortable working with this client for a while. Yeah, a lot of the times it's, it's personality. It's not just assets, right? We'll go through several conversations. Um, you know, It's obviously a little bit of leap of faith for the client to, to trust, trust us, but we try to build this much trust uh, in those initial meetings as possible. And then really we want clients that are actually going to listen to us. Like we don't want people that are going to dictate things to us. I mean, it's a working relationship for, for sure. Um, but if we give a recommendations for their best interest, so you get a good sense of, of how, you know, when you sit in these meetings, how people are going to react to your advice. Um, otherwise we just go, you know, if, 
if they're dictating things, um, they might as well just go do it themselves. Right. Right. Okay. Perfect. And Paul, just I was going to add, when we first started, we, you know, service was is really important to us, and you know, lots of advisors have hundreds of clients, you know, and some have thousands, mm-hmm. and uh, obviously that's not serviceable. And so we we stated we were going to take on seventy five clients each uh, as an upper limit, and that you know will give us enough time to de- dedicate to each client uh, as needed. Perfect. And it makes a lot of sense, right? Because uh, you're doing a lot of work for them. And uh, I don't know if everybody picked up earlier, but you were following the regular process from IAFP, which is the Institute of Advanced Financial Planners. And, and that process is, uh, is fairly, um, I would say, fa- fairly heavy. And of course, every engagement is a little different. There, there could be some simpler situations, but I'm sure you've seen some very complex situations as well. And, uh, and you are spending a lot of time, and as, as you said earlier, sometimes yeah, when you're dealing with things, that, you know, there are some things that you need to be uh, dealing this, uh, with, with things right away, and, and, and then you are meeting uh, clients um, every six months. So is there anything specific that you, apart from the compensation that you mentioned earlier, that you uh, try to, um, uh, and the service-oriented architecture as well, that you try to dis- differentiate your offering from, for example, bank-owned firms or any larger banks, for example, larger, very large advisory firms? Is there something specific that you really consciously focus on that uh, and, and telling your clients, we're different, we are, we're doing things a little differently and uh, we think it might be a good fit for you, for example? Yes, yeah, so, so I, I do think the service is important. Uh, the bank-owned, you know, the pro- it's driven from the top and uh, the reality is it's the more assets you have, uh, the better. And in fact, not just the better, that's the only way. You know, if you're not growing the bank, you're in big trouble. And so service is really important. And then, you know, financial planning, we do real financial planning. We don't just, you know, crank some numbers into snap projections, for example, and uh, hand that to them. We dive really deep into their lives. And, uh, you know, we do real financial planning, tax planning, state planning, corporate planning. I mean, the list goes on and on. And so those are the things that we do. We think, you know, it's much more deep than a high level plan. For sure. And, you know, this is actually my personal pet peeve as well, because some, some people just would basically say, well, if we can enter data into financial planning software, for example, Snap or something else, and then they, they, they feel that they're doing comprehensive financial planning. And it, it's definitely not true, right? There's a lot more that goes into before, during, and after. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad you, you pointed this out. So in terms of the service, let's dive a little deeper even into this area. So what, what do your clients appreciate about you, like about your service? Is this the personal touch? Is this, uh, I don't know, your, the, the way how you conduct yourself? What, what do you mean to provide this really good, uh, strong service? Yeah, we took clients right off the bat. Like, it's about a long-term relationship. Right, that's how you build trust. We don't just have clients to the office. Like, I'll, I'll go to clients' homes. We try to have this superior service, right? And so each client's different. Some clients hate coming downtown. Some clients love it. Um, and then, you know, I always tell clients, you know, it's not just a six-month meeting schedule either. Like, if, if something comes up, they have access to me at all times. They have my cell phone. They have, you know, my uh, email. They they know our office number. And they can call me essentially anytime. So that's that's really what we try to portray. And I think it's easy to say, but it's difficult to conduct. But go yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna say at the end of the you know process, you know, it takes some time, but I've heard you know lots of clients say, you know, after we've done the full financial plan, you know, I've got peace of mind now. And so that helps them sleep at night. 
Excellent. Okay, so peace of mind. So let's talk about the value of financial planning because I'm sure uh, it uh, comes up in a lot of conversations uh, that that we have with advisors. Uh, you know, how do you show the really the value of financial planning, especially when clients need to gather all this complex financial information? They, you know, of course, it's probably the last thing on their list to do that. But how do you position financial planning? How do you show the value of financial planning to your clients? Yeah, so and it's really hard as you know when clients first come in for the first meeting is how do you show that and you can't. You can show them a plan you've done for someone else, but that has no real meaning to them. So it's somewhat of a leap of faith. And you know, once they go through the process, you know, we can show them in retrospect the value of the financial planning. And ultimately, I think what it comes down to is net worth growth. And so you know, if that's assets or debt reduction, uh, you know, as long as your net worth worth is growing, then to me that's adding value. And some of that's intangible. You know, paying down debt is. Generally, for in our position, I mean, a non-revenue producing area, but that's in the client's best interest, and that's what's ultimately most important. Yeah, and it's it's interesting that you know the industry is really focused on let's say performance, right, or or fees, and it's one of those things where you know these intangibles don't show up on a performance report, right? So that's that's a, it's a difficult thing to articulate to clients for sure. Right. It's very difficult to show that. So initially, there was maybe there was trust, there was a little bit of a leap of faith. Uh, but of course, I mean, you can bring successful examples, other plans, but of course, it doesn't have the same the same impact because it's not their plan, right? right. When you're showing a plan that that, that that you've done for somebody else. But you can show the value. And really, this is just the ongoing relationship, as you said earlier, right? So they can see the value initially in the process and they go, the longer, essentially, they stay, as I understand it, the longer they stay with you, the more value you can generate. Uh, and, uh, and that, of course, that's uh, hopefully is going to leads to uh, increased net worth, of course, depending on their other goals, right? Okay, perfect. So when you're dealing with clients, um, what do you think is the most misunderstood part, when, especially when it comes to financial planning? Yeah, like I said, I, I personally think most individuals and people in our industry, um, they gravitate towards the investment side of things. Uh, they believe that they have this like supreme ability to outperform uh, everyone else, else out there. Uh, a lot of times, the financial plan adds the most value to the relationship, uh, as we alluded to before. It's really how you build trust. So uh, clients start to understand you, you care more about long-term relationships than just collecting assets. So probably the most misunderstood thing is how valuable um, the financial plan is and really to have accountability in your personal financial life. You know, basically, there's lots of times where like, we've come across high-net high individuals um, that feel that they don't need a plan. Right? They just feel like they're too rich, but there's lots of opportunities to save tax, um, you know, have a, a comfortable estate plan, and actually provide peace of mind. And even you know, young, you know, if we get young doctors or other professionals come in here right out of med school, and you know, they go, they're in the hole, two hundred grand, and then they start making half a million. There's no portfolio management required there. It's all essentially cash flow management. And so, one of the things, you know, the first thing we do is, you know, make sure that there's not going to be a giant tax liability come year end. And so that's somewhat of an intangible because when you look back 10 years, there's no portfolio return associated with that, but it's a critical element of getting them to a positive net worth you know, 10 years from now. And so sometimes those things are easily forgotten, uh, you know, especially when the market rolls over that. Again, like Chris said, everything tends to always come back to performance. And uh, Somewhat sadly, but uh, I think that's the reality. Well, it's just easier to measure. Measure, maybe it's more sexy, right? So that's why people gravitate to that. Yeah, for sure. 
But as you said, oh, wait, this is actually a really good example that you said about you know this young doctor with you know two hundred thousand dollars in in debt, but you know making half a million. Uh, I mean, that's part of your unique approach. I mean, may the standard regular process of financial planning. I mean, maybe the typical retirement planning approach wouldn't apply to him, right? You need to have this unique strategy to help that person to help even understand uh, or or maybe keep them accountable. So this is great. So. I want to talk a little bit more about the compensation because uh, comprehensive financial planning takes time, right? And uh, so how do you price your services right now? So do you actually charge for planning separately? Do you uh, have one uh, set of fees for, uh, and what it is actually, if you can share, for an engagement? Do you tailor the, the, the fees between different clients? How do you approach that? Yeah, so in that, that doctor scenario where they have no assets, we'd, we'd come up with a, like a flat fee until they eventually got to a place where we could actually charge them on a fee-based arrangement. Um, so our normal typical arrangement, we have a tiered scale and we're essentially fee based on, based on the assets under, uh, management. Um, so that would include like all trading costs. Like, so we, we absorb those, uh, there's no admin costs and all the fees are tax deductible because we're a discretionary portfolio manager. So like I said, we have a tier rate. Well, it's an all in price. So you get professional portfolio management and comprehensive financial planning. So I think we're a little bit unique in. Uh, the way our fees are structured. Yeah, for sure. Excellent. Well, this is very interesting because, I mean, I've seen so many different pricing appro- approaches to pricing, but uh, but it defi- it's definitely working for you, right? You're about 140 families right now. You said that your capacity is about 150. So, so both of you is basically 75 clients and 75 family- families per person. Um, and uh, so you're definitely doing something right because you're pretty much at max capacity So uh, right now. So uh, what do you think made you successful in building your practice so far? It's, you haven't been doing this for you know, 30 years, right? It's been, uh, it's been, what, eight, nine years maybe right now? Yeah. So what do you think, what contributed to your success? So Chris and I, I mean, we somewhat joke about it, but we say our stubbornness. <laughs> I mean, when we first started, it, we started with zero. And, uh, you know, the first couple of years were tough. And uh, yeah, they're lean for sure. Yeah, real lean. And uh, so once we, you know, kind of got through that, but what helped us get through that, is I really think, you know, sticking to our morals. I mean, I remember back in the early days where there was a client who had a big pension, and uh, they were going to possibly commute it, and that certainly would have been, you know, in our financial best interest. But we didn't. We, we ended up keeping it because uh, it was in the client's best interest, and so. I think that's a really important thing. I mean, the client probably didn't know that was a decision, but that's, uh, you know, in the back of a, a lot of advisors' minds, uh, you know, due to compensation. But, uh, you know, you, your morals have to kind of overrule that stuff sometimes. And some of the other things, you know, teamwork. I mean, Chris and I have known each other for 25 years, and uh, and we probably see each other more than our families, which is uh, not unlike a lot of people. But we both have different skill sets. Uh, which is good and, and well, critically important. And uh, it ultimately, it comes down to respect as well. Uh, we respect each other's skills and differences and opinions. And uh, I think that's made us stronger. I think also as we've gotten older here, uh, we've gotten smarter in our time allocation. So we've really, uh, you know, specialized or, you know, divided our time into things that we each do better. And, uh, you know, Chris does certain things and I do certain things better. That's just... Uh, you know, it comes back to the different skill sets. Chris, anything from you that you would like to strong morals, teamwork, and time, great uh, uh, efficient time allocation? Yeah, I think those are really the key points, right? I mean, that's really what I've been learning here, especially in the last year is like we, we hired someone else and, and you have to delegate some work off, you know, especially if you're doing the planning and the portfolio management. 
right? There's a lot of functions that you have to, I mean, we're basically a jack of all trades, it feels like. So you have to focus on what you're good at. So some of the other things we've done, Paolo, recently is uh, as our clients have gotten bigger, we've grown in the clients, we've got more clients as some client appreciation events. And so last year we sponsored a truck wagon. So I'm sure everyone knows Calgary Stampede. So um, you know, we had, I think, 36 of our top clients uh, in behind the barns, you get to see the horses, meet all the drivers, um, and then you get to watch the chuck wagon races. And then, uh, you know, our logos uh, on the chuck wagon tarp, you know, ripping around the track. And so that was a fun event for the clients, very unique and uh, much appreciated. And uh, we're looking at doing another uh, client appreciation event in the new year here. And uh, that'll be uh, about the same size, but uh, uh, small and intimate is uh, the kind of the way we're headed. Uh, on the client appreciation events. Oh, this is really interesting. And I'm sure, well, uh, I know that the Calgary really, uh, I left for such a long time in Edmonton, right? So I know Calgary pretty much shuts down for two weeks for the stampede, right? <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> basically. So so this is awesome. So this is really interesting. So client appreciation. So what what is really, um, so of course, I'm sure clients appreciate those, those events. And uh, what else, like how did you arrive at, at actually doing those client appreciation? Why did you want to sh- just share value with your clients, tell them that you're, you appreciate your relationship. Like, how do you th- think about the value of those events, just from a business standpoint? Well, you know, it's important to spend time with your clients. Like, they, you know, you get to learn more about them. You get to learn more about their families, and uh, you know, that gives us an opportunity to do that, right? There's a, like a lot of our clients are busy, so you know, any chance that we get, we'd love to get in front of them. And then we we invited like our wives uh, to this event as well, so. You know, most of them never met our wives, and, and it gives them a little bit of a, I guess, a personal snapshot into our lives a little bit as well. Like we're not just these robots who think about money all day long. And we run these events not focused on selling them anything. It, it's just a, strictly a social event, and so and to that we don't put on, we don't have speakers or anything. It's just strictly social. And so I think that's a little bit different as well. Most people tend to have you know a speaker or you know, some kind of information session or knowledge takeaway, but that we've, you know, focused just again on the social aspect and getting to know them a little bit deeper and uh, them getting us, you know, on a personal level. Excellent. And I think it works really well for uh, for, for you guys because it's, uh, it's uh, really decouples the, the kind of the commercial aspect or the business aspect from the social aspect, right? And, and you're very clear on what is the value of from this events. Uh, it's just spending time with your clients, right? Understanding them, having them, uh, meet your uh, uh, meet your meet your families um, uh, as well. So that's uh, that's that's really uh, that's awesome. That's really great to see. So um, let's talk about some of the uh, some of the I would say the challenging things on the on the side of of really advising clients, not on the business side, but on vi- advising clients. I like to ask this kind of questions just to see, like, what do you really find most difficult in advising clients day to day? For example, looking last week or last couple of weeks. Yeah, that's it's an interesting question and. Uh... And the timing's good. And when Chris and I were talking about this, so I think it comes down to the client expectations on the downside risk. And you know, we've seen the markets, you know, roll over here ten percent or so. And you know, that's not that much. You know, when when equities can fall off forty percent, so to be up ten out of forty is not a huge deal. And it, we always condition our clients, and you know, we do an investment policy statement, and you know, it's signed every year. And we always go over the downside risk, and we always mention, you know, in a recession, the equities be off forty percent. You know, so it's you know always stated, it's clearly stated, and continually stated. And 
as soon as the market rolls over a little bit, you know, our, our phones are lighting up here. Uh, whereas in the, you know, in the past, we hardly get any calls. And so we've certainly, you know, I, I don't know what we could do better, but uh, that was one of the things, you know, client downside risk or managing those expectations. Okay. Well, that's really important, right? Because uh, clients are, are, I mean, everybody's kind of looking through the good times, but uh, uh, it's uh, an advisor basically needs to really manage the, the relationship uh, very well, especially to go the, uh, to, to take them through those tough times, right? When they should stay invested, right? Yeah, it's easy to manage money on the way up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Thank you for... Yeah. Thank you for uh, nailing this right now with this. Yeah, that's that's absolutely uh, absolutely right. So, so a couple of other questions before we wrap up here. So, uh, I I really like the client appreciation events. Uh, is there anything else, uh, or do you have any other projects that are you most excited about your business right now in the next uh, you know three to six months? Uh, yeah, it might be a little bit longer, but we're looking at um, using our infrastructure. So we're set up as a portfolio manager. So we have all the infrastructure uh, for an advisor to join us. And we get, uh, you know, constant calls or emails from, you know, they tend to be bank employees or bank advisors. And they're, you know, sick of the banks and, you know, the, the pressure on sales and fees and all that stuff. So we, we get a lot of people saying, you know, I want to do what you're doing. And, you know, we, Chris and I have talked a lot here, especially recently, is, you know, we've got that infrastructure. So why don't we, you know, use it and help these people get out from under the banks and they can, you know, essentially run their own practice without the banks you know, dictating what they can do. And yeah. So that's the path that I think we're headed down here shortly you know, in the next little while. There's a trend in the U.S. I mean, we, we kind of feel like Canada's, you know, in terms of the model, is about 10 years behind the U.S. Um, you know, they have all these um, RIAs, the Registered Investment Advisors, and they're essentially independent. And for whatever reason... You know, the banks have this oligopoly, um, you know, on the industry, and and I don't even know the stats, but I, I'm sure 90% of monies and relationships are managed by, um, you know, big institutions. So, I think people are starting to realize that uh, there are some different options out there, right? There's some really good advisors. I mean, there's, you know, it's to me, it's it's one of those things where maybe the model's broken, you know, if you're if you're working for a like a large large institution, right? It's just a lot of red tape. So how do you think this is going to evolve? Because I do agree, Canada is behind uh, in many different fronts, right? Uh, you know, ten years, you know, fifteen years, five years—I don't know what what exactly is the sort of the time uh, horizon here. But what do you think is going to happen actually? How how the financial advice is going to evolve or is evolving basically globally and and hopefully here in Canada as well? Well, there's like I said, there's this um, kind of misconception of of safety, right? So our custodian uh, is an independent, so our custodian's fidelity. Uh, so they're in the background and, uh, you know, they're like a three or $4 trillion asset ma- under management company, right? So bigger than, you know, all these banks, right? So if, if they're worried about safety, you know, that doesn't really fit. So it's, it's one of those things where a lot of people, you know, maybe they'll wake up and, and realize that there's, there's some different options out there for sure. Excellent. All right, uh, Spencer and Chris. So this podcast is all about uh, growing your practice. I, I know I asked you for a lot of uh, words of wisdom so far, but do you have any parting words of wisdom for the listeners? Yeah, I think I mean, you just focus on your practice and I think it comes down to your ethics uh, and you know, directly related to your reputation. You only you know, get one chance at your reputation. Once it's gone, it's gone. And if you can build a solid model and you, know, you just kind of keep 
focus on those three things, the referrals will come. And I, I guess don't be afraid to try anything. I mean, Chris and I, we've done, done it all. And uh, lots of it didn't work. And uh, you tend to find out pretty quick what does work. Um, and the last thing I'd suggest is you got to differentiate yourself. You can't just be another, uh, you know, cookie in the cookie jar. You, you've got to be different. So we've done you know, lots of different things. Like I, so I sit on the national board of the IFP. Um, all of our employees are RFPs. You know, we made the early decision not to take on commissions. We, we actually go provide real comprehensive planning. We volunteer. So we've done all these hopefully different things to stick out. Uh, from the competitors, and uh, you know, we are, you know, hopefully, I think we have a unique value proposition uh, on all those different things that we do. Yeah, I, I would just say align yourself with some good orga- organizations. So we've aligned ourselves with uh, PMAX, that's the Portfolio Management Association of Canada, and the uh, Institute of Advanced Financial Planners. Um, that, in my mind, is is certainly a tool to differentiate yourself in these meetings when you get in front of a new client. Stefan, good advice. Uh, so, Spencer, Chris, uh, so if anyone wants to get a hold of you, maybe uh, ask a couple of questions, you know, how you've uh, you know, done uh, some of the things that you've done and, uh, and maybe uh, if you're in a position later on down the road, as you're saying, to help somebody else to maybe uh, become independent, um, how would they do that? How was the best way to reach you right now? Yeah, probably email. Uh, I'm an email guy. So it's uh, chris.rawls uh, at rtmosaic.com. Uh, or spencer.tilly at rtmosaic.com, or just go check out our website, uh, www.rtmosaic.com. Wonderful. We'll uh, link the website uh, in the show notes as well. So if anybody wants to uh, get in touch with you, then they will be able to do it. So Spencer, Chris, again, thank you very much for coming on the show. We've heard a lot of valuable insights. Thank you. Yeah, thanks very much. I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, thanks Paolo. a lot, Paolo. It was great. And that's it for this episode. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at podcast at snapprojections.com. And if you're enjoying the show and want more of the amazing guests sharing incredibly valuable knowledge, head over to iTunes and leave us a great review, which helps us get discovered. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.